Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved. How are you? This is me. I am live, not on video, uh, back on video yet, but on audio, and I'm thrilled, so happy to be with you. God bless you. And as I said yesterday, this is a first-class octave. Every day this week is first-class on Pentecost. It's so, so, so wonderful. Such a tremendous, special um, feast uh, is Pentecost, which again began in Israel, Pentecost, meaning 50. It's their word and their holiday. And it represented the harvest time in Hebrew, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, the harvest time where all the Jews came to Jerusalem to harvest and also uh, rejoicing over the law, Simchas Torah, uh, the law Torah, Simchas rejoicing that God gave to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai through Moses. So it's, it's very, very, very special. And when they were all up there, 3,000 plus on Shavuot, on Pentecost, God poured out his spirit. Um, and what was the birth of Judaism became the birth of the church because the Messiah came through the Jews and for the Jews, for the whole world. Hold on a moment. <coughs> Um, so Pentecost is now ours, the Messiah is ours, uh, and the gospel would be spread to every creature throughout the world. We began reading yesterday Dom Geringer's um, uh, message on Pentecost, and I'm going to back up two little paragraphs to bring it into the context for today. He writes, How beautiful art thou, dear church of our God! Heretofore, the workings of the Holy Ghost have been limited, but now he breatheth freely where he willeth. He brings thee forth to the eyes of men by this stupendous prodigy. Thou art the image of what this earth was when all its inhabitants spoke the same language. The prodigy is not to cease with the day of Pentecost, nor with the disciples who are its first receivers. When the apostles have terminated their lives and preaching, the gift of tongues, at least in its miraculous form, will cease because no longer needed. But thou, O Church of Christ, wilt continue to speak all languages, even to the end of time. For thou art to dwell in every clime. The one same faith is to be expressed in the language of every country and thus transformed the miracle of Pentecost is to be kept up forever with thee as one of thy characteristic marks. The great St. Augustine alluded to this when he spoke the following admirable words, quote, The whole body of Christ, the church, now speaks in all tongues. Nay, I myself speak all tongues, for I am in the body of Christ. I am in the church of Christ. If the body of Christ now speaks all languages, 
then am I in all languages? <laughs> Greek is mine, Syriac is mine, Hebrew is mine, and all are mine, for I am one with all the several nations that speak them. During the ages of faith, the church, which is the only source of all true progress, succeeded in giving one common language to all the nations that were in union with her. For centuries, the Latin language was the bond of union between civilized countries. However distant these might be from one another, there was this link of connection between them. It was the medium of communication for political negotiations, for the spread of silence, of science rather, <laughs> for the spread of science, or for friendly epistolary correspondence. No one was a stranger in any part of the West or even beyond it who could speak this language. The great heresy of the 16th century, that's the Reformation, robbed us of this as of so many other blessings. It dismembered that Europe, which the church had united, not only by her faith, but by her language. Let us then return to the cynical and continue our contemplation of the wondrous workings of the Holy Ghost within this still closed sanctuary. <clears throat> first of all, and this is where we left off yesterday, first of all, we look for Mary, for her who now more than ever is full of grace. After those measureless gifts lavished upon her in her immaculate conception, after the treasures of holiness infused into her by the incarnate word during the nine months she bore him in her womb, after the special graces granted her for acting and suffering in union with her son in the work of the world's redemption, after the favors wherewith this same Jesus loaded her when in the glory of his resurrection, after all this, we should have thought that heaven had given all it could give to a mere creature, however sublime the destiny of that creature might be. But no, here is a new mission opened for Mary. The church is born. She is born of Mary. Mary has given birth to the spouse of her son. New duties fall upon the mother of the church. Jesus has ascended into heaven, leaving Mary upon the earth, that she may nurse the infant church. Oh, how lovely, and yet how dignified is this infancy of our dear church, Cherish, cherished as she is, fed and strengthened by Mary. But this second Eve, this true mother of the living, must receive a fresh infusion of grace, to fit her for this her new office. Therefore it is that she has the first claim to and the richest portion of the gifts of the Holy Ghost. Heretofore, he overshadowed her and made her mother of the Son of God. Now he makes her the mother of the Christian people. It is the verification of those words of the royal prophet, the stream, literally the Petuosity of the river maketh the city of God joyful. The Most High hath sanctified his own tabernacle. <clears throat> 
The spirit of love here fulfills the intention expressed by our Redeemer when dying on the cross. Woman, said Jesus to her, behold thy son. St. John was this son, and he represented all mankind. The Holy Ghost now infuses into Mary the plenitude of the grace needful for her maternal mission. From this day forward, she acts as mother of the infant church. And when at length the church no longer needs her visible presence, this mother quits the earth for heaven, where she is crowned queen. But there too she exercises her glorious title and office of mother of men. Let us contemplate this masterpiece of Pentecost and admire the new loveliness that beams in Mary from this second maternity, the second maternity. She is inflamed by the fire of divine love and this in a way not felt before. She is all devoted to the office put upon her and for which she has been left on earth. The grace of the apostolate is granted to her. She has received the tongue of fire and although her voice is not to make itself heard in public preaching, yet will she speak to the apostles, directing and consoling them in their labors. Beloved, you know, when I first came into the church, I had so many questions on Mary. I couldn't believe adoring her, not adoring her as we adore God, but worshiping her or admiring her or holding her as the church holds her. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing that because she's a creature. And one priest, beautiful priest, gave me a book to read titled The Mother of the Savior by Reginald Garagou, Father Reginald Garagou Lagrange. I read that book and I have never had a problem with Mary again because I read that book and I realized not only has God done with Mary way beyond what I could fathom, but what any human being could fathom. We'll never know the whole of it. We'll never know the whole of it. The grace of the apostolate is granted to her. She has received the tongue of fire, and although her voice is not to make itself heard in public preaching, yet will she speak to the apostles, directing and consoling them in their labors in my Protestant years. I got a book on the uh, four Gospels, uh, the harmony of the Gospels, and it's Protestant. And it says in the footnotes that it was Mary who gave the apostles all the information on Jesus. Uh, they don't acknowledge her as, as she is, but at least they give her that credit of giving all the information on the life of her son to those apostles. There's the music, dear ones, for our first break. We'll be back to continue this. And after the second break, take your calls and your emails. Toll free, the number is 1-877-511-5483. Or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Atheists claim theists are essentially no different than atheists because we reject gods too, such as Greek and Roman gods. But this is plain absurdity. What's our reason? First, it's an abuse of language. A theist believes in at least one god. An atheist doesn't believe in any god. They're mutually exclusive terms. To say a theist is an atheist to most gods is like saying a married man is a bachelor to most women. Second, it's bad reasoning. To say I'm an atheist because I reject some gods is like saying I'm an anarchist, one who rejects all forms of government because I reject communism and fascism, some forms of government. But that's silly. So the claim that atheists and theists are no different doesn't hold water. I'm Carlo Brusord with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Please join us in a prayer to our guardian angel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O holy guardian angel, take care of our soul and body. Enlighten our mind that we may know the Lord better and love him with all our heart. Help us in our prayers so that we may not give in to distractions. Assist us with your advice so that we may see the good and carry it out with generosity. Defend us from the insidious snares of the enemy and sustain us in temptations that we may always be victorious. Remedy our coldness in our worship of the Lord. Cease not to protect us until you have brought us into paradise where we will praise our good God together for all eternity. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she and I am live by audio, not video yet. Um, and thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to be with you. We are reading Dom Geringer's homily on Pentecost. Everything he writes, I think, is just wonderful, glorious. He wrote in uh, the 19th century, 1870, and it's, it's wonderful for us today. And we're speaking about Mary, uh, who is the mother of the church, mother of the son, and the fact that she will speak to the apostles directing and consoling them in their labors. And she will speak too to the faithful, but with a force, a sweetness and persuasiveness, becoming one whom God has made the most exalted of his creatures. The primitive Christians with such a training as this will have a vigor and an energy enough to resist all the attacks of hell. And like Stephen, who had often listened to her inspiring words, die martyrs for the faith. Let us next look at the Apostolic College, the frequent instructions they have been receiving from their Lord during the 40 days after his resurrection have changed them into quite other men. But now that they have received the Holy Ghost, the change in conversion is complete. 
They are filled with the enthusiasm of faith. Their souls are on fire with divine love. The conquest of the whole world, this is their ambition, and they know it, it is their mission. What their master had told them is fulfilled. They are endued with the power from on high and are ready for the battle. Who would suppose that these are men who crouched with fear when their Jesus was in the hands of his enemies? Who would take these to be the men that doubted of his resurrection? All that this beloved master has taught them is now so clear to them. They see it all. They understand it all. The Holy Ghost has infused into them, and in a sublime degree, the gift of faith. They are impatient to spread this faith throughout the whole world. I'll tell you, when I first gave my life to Christ, he I was a Martian, dear ones, on planet Earth overnight. Who could keep it to yourself? Who could keep it that there's a God and that people could know who he is and that they could know him? and that they could be utterly transformed. I walked through the streets and I would stop people. You may think I was a maniac, but I was a maniac for Jesus. Stop them and say, excuse me, do you know there's a God? Do you know that you could know him? I went to my boss, uh, head of a, 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 a large advertising company who had hired me to open up a San Francisco office. And I said, I, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't. You're investing too much money in me. And I used to work 14 hours a day, seven days a week, but I can't anymore because God has changed me. And my boss got so angry. I th I've told you this story before. He said, why can't, why do you have to be a fanatic? Why can't you have be balanced? Why can't you have eight hours of God and eight hours of work and eight hours of sleep? I mean, what an insane thought that was to me. And I said, I can't. And I said to him, if you can picture being born with your eyelids shut and you never knew what they were for and they were never opened and now you're an adult and all of a sudden one day they're open and you can see for the first time i said to him you can't even appreciate a tree yet because you're too overwhelmed with the fact that you see that tree how do you settle down to eight hours a day amazing and so the apostles themselves are impatient to spread this faith throughout the whole world. Far from fearing, they even long to suffer persecution in the discharge of the office entrusted to them by Jesus, that of preaching his name and his glory unto all nations. Beloved, it should be the same with us. It should be the same with us. Don't lose sight of the Holy Ghost in you. Don't lose sight of the incredible gift that God has given you the gift of faith to believe in him and to become his and to remain his through the sacraments. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't grow uh, lax. Uh, there is a world to be saved. There's a world that doesn't believe. And God has made us just like those apostles in Jerusalem. He's made us his emissaries, his messengers and he would say to us uh you are to be my witnesses in jerusalem judea the other most parts of the earth in brooklyn and new york and the other parts of the earth in 
I can't think of a city in San Francisco in California, the outermost parts of the earth. It's our mission. He, the, the baton through 2,000 years, beloved, has been passed to us. Dom Garanger continues, look at Peter. You easily recognize him by that majestic bearing, which, though sweetly tempered by deep humility, bespeaks his preeminent dignity. A few hours ago, it was the tranquil gravity of the head of the Apostolic College, but now his whole face gleams with the flash of enthusiasm, for the Holy Ghost is now sovereign possessor of this vicar of Christ, this prince of the word this master teacher of truth. Near him are seated the other apostles, Andrew, his elder brother, who now conceives that ardent passion for the cross, which is to be his grand characteristic. John, whose meek and gentle eye now glistens with the fire of inspiration, betokening the prophet of Patmos, James, the brother of John, and called like him, the son of thunder bears in his whole attitude the appearance of the future chivalrous conqueror of Iberia. The other James, known and loved under the name of brother of Jesus, feels a fresh and deeper transport of joyousness as the power of the Spirit thrills through his being. Matthew is enriched with a glowing light which points him out to us as the first writer of the New Testament, Thomas, whose faith was the fruit he took from Jesus' wounds, feels that faith now made perfect. It is generous, free, unreserved, worthy of the brave apostle of the Far East. In a word, all twelve are a living hymn to the glory of the Almighty Spirit, whose power is thus magnificently evinced even at the onset of his reign. The disciples too are sharers, though in a less degree than the apostles of the divine gifts, they receive the same spirit, the same sacred fire, for they too are to go forth, conquer the world and found churches. That's us beloved, that's us. Not found churches apart from the Catholic church, there's only one holy, uh, an apostolic Catholic Church is only one Catholic universal faith. So when we find found churches, it's finding uh, founding branches of that one, one holy and apostolic church. The holy women also, who form part of the assembly of the Senegal, have received the graces of this wondrous descent of the Holy Ghost. It was love that emboldened them to stand near the cross of Jesus and be the first to visit his sepulcher on Easter morning. This love is now redoubled. A tongue of fire has stood over each of them, and the time will come when they will speak with fervid eloquence of Jesus to both Jews and Gentiles. The synagogue will banish Magdalene and her companions, the Gentiles of our Western Europe will receive them, and the word of these holy exiles will produce a hundredfold of fruit. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews has collected around the mysterious cynical. Not only has the mighty wind excited their curiosity, 
but moreover, that same divine spirit, who is working such wonders upon the holy assembly within, is impelling them to visit the house wherein is the newborn church of Christ. They clamor for the apostles, <clears throat> and these are burning with zeal to begin their work. So too are all. At once, then, the crowd sees these men standing in its midst and relating the prodigy that has been wrought by the God of Israel. Beloved, we read this, and it should be us now. It should be us that's on fire. It should be us that truly knows the mission we've received to spread the gospel to every creature in the ends of the earth. What is the surprise of this multitude, composed as it is of people of so many different nations, when these poor, uneducated Galileans address them, each in the language of his own country? I'll stop here to say so many people say, I'm afraid to give witness. I don't know the scriptures well. I don't know my faith well. It doesn't matter. You know what you believe. You know whom you believe. And that's a gift of God. And that's what you tell people. You can't give what you don't have. But we're commanded to give what we do have. They have heard them speak before this. And they expect the repetition of the jargon now. This is the multitude who heard the apostles speak before now. And they expect the repetition of the same message. When lo, there is a there is the correct accent and diction of every country. And with such eloquence, the symbol of unity is here shown in all its magnificence. Here is the Christian church, and it is one. One, though consisting of such varied elements, the walls of division, which divine justice had set up between nation and nation, are now removed. Here is the reversal of Babylon, beloved. Here also are the heralds of the faith of Christ. They are ready for their grand mission. They long to traverse the earth and save it by the word of their preaching. Oh, dear ones, we should long to traverse the earth and save it by the word of our preaching. We should long to traverse even to our neighbor's yard a few feet and tell them of the gospel and of the Savior. And of course, if our, contra if our conduct um, um, uh, opposes the gospel we would speak is not consistent with the gospel, they're not going to believe us. Why should they? But if our lives truly resemble a true Christian, a true Catholic, then they will wonder why we're such a mystery, why we love so much, why we do, we're in the world and not of it. And when we tell them, they'll believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will believe. There's the music, dear ones, for our uh, half hour break. We will return after the break, not with Dom Geringer, but with you, your calls, your emails, with anything whatsoever that's on your heart. The toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. 
This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for May 31st. Today we celebrate the Visitation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The most visible actors in the drama of the Visitation are Mary and Elizabeth. Mary, who has only recently learned that she is carrying the Son of God in her womb, visits her cousin Elizabeth, who is likewise with child. But Jesus and John the Baptist enter the scene. Jesus makes John leap with joy, the joy of messianic salvation. We don't have a journalist's account of this meeting. Rather, Luke's gospel gives a prayerful poet's rendition of the scene. Elizabeth's praise of Mary as the mother of my Lord can be viewed as the earliest church's devotion to Mary. Elizabeth's words first praise God for what God has done to Mary. Only secondly, does she praise Mary for trusting God's words? Then comes the Magnificat. Here, Mary herself traces her greatness to God. This is a fairly late feast, going back only to the 13th or 14th century. It was established widely throughout the church to pray for unity. Note that the visitation falls between the feasts of the Annunciation on March 25th and the Nativity of John the Baptist on June 24th. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. There was no single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I, I, I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. This is our half hour and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart, whether you call in or email anonymously or with your name is not an issue to me. Um, I say always that the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. So again, our toll-free number is one 511 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have a comment from YouTube from Dave who says, what does mother have against Eucharistic ministers? You talk about the traditional mass and tradition, but don't know about them at all. You call them lay people. Also, if they decide deacons can be female, would it then be correct to allow girls to be altar servers, as this is a step towards deacons as well as priest bishop? Um well, Dave, um, what you're speaking about does not coincide with church teaching. So I don't have anything against Eucharistic ministers. But to begin with, that's not a, uh, a term of the church. There's no such position as Eucharistic ministers. The church calls such people um, uh, extraordinary ministers of the Holy Eucharist. So to begin with, 
um, uh, the, the term is 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 not correct. Extraordinary ministers of of the Holy Eucharist or of Communion. Um, and then, Dave, you say you talk about the traditional mass and tradition, but don't know about them at all. You call them lay people, but that's not so. I do call them lay people, yes, because the church calls them lay people. They are not ministers in the way that priests are ministers. The priest is the ordinary minister of Holy Communion. Uh, lay people can be, according to the most recent decision and, ch- and teaching of the church, can be extraordinary ministers, extraordinary. Extra means outside of extraordinary ministers. So outside of the ordinary minister of the priest, lay people can do that. The church has given such permission. Um, So I'm not against so-called Eucharistic ministers. I am against lay people distributing Holy Communion. Now, uh, I, I don't say anyone's in sin for it. The church allows it. I personally am against it because I uh, believe what Bishop Athanasius Snyder and other holy uh, men and priests and cardinals of God have said, that only the consecrated hands of a priest should touch that consecrated host. I believe that. And so for lay people to be distributing our Lord and to be touching him, um, I think is a sacrilege. So that's why I'm against it. Um, but again, I don't say anyone's in sin because the church allows it. But they are lay people. Anyone that's not a priest is a lay person. Uh, also, if they decide deacons, Dave says, if they decide deacons can be female, um, well, it would be a heresy. Deacons cannot be female. Uh, you say if they decide that, it would be a heresy. But if they decide deacons can be female, would it then be correct to allow girls to be altar servers, as this is a step toward deacons as well as priest bishops? Well, um, it, it still would not be correct to have girls be altar servers. But again, the church has allowed that. Uh, it, it's not that I know more than the church, but we can see, especially from Vatican II, many atrocities going on in the church today, many, many sacrileges. And John Paul II allowed altar girls. And so I don't say they're not allowed, but the reason that I say they should not be altar service is exactly the reason you say, because it is a step toward being a deacon as well as a priest or bishop. And females cannot be deacons, priests, or bishops. They cannot. And so it's almost a cruelty to put a young girl in that spot and tell her she cannot go further. It is a place for the male male ministry, lay people, and then one day, God willing, uh, a priest. We have a a comment uh, from Sarah who says, Sister, I have a question. In my Roman Catholic Church, some lay women and men are allowed to give the Eucharist. Now, Sarah knows they're lay people. Some lay women and men are allowed to give the Eucharist, some in church, and some are sent to the house of people who cannot attend Mass. They do a specific set of prayers, a sort of ritual of liturgy, and they give the Eucharist. But I know for sure they are given permission to do so. 
any thoughts. Well, it's the same thing that I just uh, responded to Dave about. Um, I know this exists, um, and um, they're given permission. The church has given such permission. Uh, it grieves me. There have been cases in the past where lay people did bring the Eucharist to people. It was a time of great, excuse me, great, great persecution. And um, there are there are extraordinary times where it may be okay for extraordinary circumstances. And again, lay people have been called by the church extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist for extraordinary purposes, not to sign up that we have two or six ministers for every Sunday Mass and we have sign-ups. No, that's not extraordinary at all. For extraordinary circumstances, um, which may be that the priest cannot for whatever reason, distribute communion. Maybe he's physically ill. Uh, I don't know what, but it's extraordinary purposes. So I don't think this is proper, but I do tell you that um, the church allows it. So I, it's not sin. Uh, I do think it's a, um, a desecration, a, a degradation and a desecration. I do think that, Sarah. I, I was relieved to hear the words of Bishop Athanasius Snyder that only the hands of a consecrated priest should distribute communion. If you go to the Latin Mass, not even a deacon is allowed because he's not a priest. He does not have the consecrated hands of a priest. Not a nun doesn't have consecrated hands of a priest. No one but the priest should distribute communion. No one. Um, we have another comment from someone who writes in anonymously, is it wrong for women to clean the sanctuary? I don't believe it's wrong for women to clean the sanctuary. Um, uh, truly, lay people altogether should never touch the altar. They should never touch, even touch the altar, man or woman. Only a priest should touch the altar. So I think it's fine for women to clean the sanctuary, but it's the priest who needs to keep the altar, not lay people. Um, we have an email from Jennifer who says, Hello, my husband and I have been Roman Catholic our whole lives. We are in our 30s. I went to a Catholic school and we have always attended the Novus Ordo Mass. About a year ago, after beginning to listen to your program, we realized how little we know about our faith. I've been trying to learn as much as possible now, especially with raising children, so that I am teaching them proper teachings. Good for you, Jennifer. <clears throat> she says, I have many questions, but for now, my question is about our diocese. I'm not sure if you would know the answer, but here in my diocese, they are doing a quote-unquote renewal, and they are mentioning it at a church, but I'm not really sure what it is. They have removed some priests from parishes to work on this program. And they ask us to pray at Mass that all parishioners are accepting of these changes. <clears throat> well, why they would remove priests from parishes to work on this program, my goodness, the priest celebrating Mass at his parish is much more important than whatever that program is. We even say a road to renewal prayer during Mass. This all makes me very uncomfortable, and I cannot help but think there is no good to come 
of this. Should I be saying this added prayer during Mass? And do you think I am right to have my doubts about what is happening in our diocese? Thank you for your time. Well, um, dear one, I'd have the same doubts. And I wouldn't pray the road to renewal prayer unless I knew what was going on. Uh, so I wouldn't give it support unless I knew what this road to renewal was and that I understood it was holy. For priests to be absent, taken away from parishes to form this program, um, it doesn't seem right to me. So I don't know what it is. I do know um, in one city where 35 parishes are being closed, I hear from these people uh, often and they are in pain. And it, it grieves me it, at why bishops would close churches rather than help uh, parishioners, every single parish, to knock on every single door in the diocese to invite people to church or back to church. Why would they close the parishes? Uh, if there's not enough priests, maybe they need to look into why there are no vocations. We have an email from Josephine. And... Um, Josephine says, Dearest Mother Miriam, could you please give some advice to the youth that desires to devote their life to Christ, but are uncertain of the religious life? They are uncertain if the religious life is safe for them, seeing how the development of the new world religion is evolving, and many religious orders will be challenged to show true obedience to God, even if that means disobedience to those who hold positions in the physical hierarchy of the church. Well, you've got that down well, Josephine. She says, my present struggle is, I would like to gladly be a traditional Carmelite nun, um, but I fear that the orders around me will fall apart as we continue the Calvary of the church before his second coming. I hope to th hear your thoughts. Bless you, Mother. Yours truly, Josephine. Josephine, if God has put in your heart to be a nun and to be a traditional Carmelite nun, that's what you do. Don't second guess God. Don't second guess your desires. Don't look at all that's going on in the church. In my mind, Josephine, uh, I'm the most privileged person on the face of the, church, of the earth to be a religious, to have the whole truth, and to be able to be a witness for him in such a time as this. Don't let fear, don't let what the future likes deter you whatsoever. Don't pick a safe plan. Walk with God, Josephine, with all your heart. And that's the advice I give to all youth uh, that want to give their lives to Christ, but are uncertain that religious life is safe. Don't look for what's safe, Josephine. And I say this to all young people. Live for God with all your heart. Um, and um, and let him direct you. There are wonderful cloistered Carmelite orders. And yes, uh, the Holy See is shutting down some orders. It's terribly tragic. But there are good orders and cloistered Carmelite orders. And I would say don't let anything come your way, Josephine. If God is leading you that way, go for it. Um, uh, don't worry about what's safe, beloved. When we come into religious life, we give our life to God and leave it all in his hands, not to worry about that. We have an email from Teresa who says, Hi, Mother Miriam, you are amazing. We are so lucky to have you, and I can see the Holy Spirit 
working in you. Thank you for your words and guidance, which are so needed in today's world. Well, thank you, Teresa. Um, and she says, I have a question. A question I have asked two priests in the confession already with two different answers over the span of a year and something that has been bothering me for some time. Dearest Teresa, there's the music for our final break. I will read your email in full and respond to you when we come back from the break. Uh, and we'll have 10 minutes and it'll still be time for anyone who may wish to call in uh, with whatever's on your heart, toll free, 1-877-511-5483. We'll be right back, beloved. This is Jim Havens, co-founder of the National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood. Some truths are self-evident, some rights are unalienable. It is a scientific fact that life begins at conception fertilization. It is a foundational moral truth that we ought not murder innocent human beings. Every human being is a human person with a right to life and the equal protection of law according to the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Yet we have an ongoing daily mass murder of our little pre-born brothers and sisters. It's time for all men and women of goodwill to rise up together in the public square and say no more. Come join us in Albany, New York on Saturday, June 3rd. Men, let's go first and gather at 9 a.m. for the Men's March. Women, we need you to join us at 1045 a.m. for the Rally for Personhood outside of the New York State Capitol. We'll have some great speakers along with terrific opportunities for formation and fellowship before and after. Go to themensmarch.com for all the details. See you in Albany. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Bumper Magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic Radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the About tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the About tab. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved. Uh, this is our last segment. We have about 10 minutes and that's plenty of time. Our lines are open for you to call in if you wish or email. We began just before the break uh, an email uh, from Teresa who says, I have a question, <clears throat> a, a question I've asked two priests in confession already with two different answers over the span of a year and something that has been bothering me for some time. <clears throat> 
Teresa says, I am married with four beautiful children and one in heaven that I lost in miscarriage. So I am truly a mother of five. Just my little one is away from me, from me for now. I found I had a fibroid tumor when I was pregnant with my first child. The tumor grew so great that my doctor had a competition as to who would win in size, my daughter or my tumor. My daughter won, ha, she says. <laughs> I went on to have four more children. One passed away and my tumor started to give me problems. I had so much pain during my, um, uh, she says, during my um, um, monthly cycles, I'll say it that way, um, that I could not use the restroom. I went to doctor after doctor and no one really helped me. They would just give me the birth control pill that I would take to help my pain, but I just couldn't take it because I know its effects. So I stopped each time. Then they told me to stop drinking coffee. Not sure what that would do. Well, I'll just tell you, Teresa, that um, uh, I've never been pregnant, but I experienced what you have in my 20s, and it was pretty awful. And I was also suggested to stay away from coffee and take vitamin E. And there was one other thing, I forget. I don't know if it helped or not. <clears throat> Teresa writes, after my last child, my pains became so bad that I could not hold my baby. I would curl to the ground in terrible pain that shot all through my parts. I'm just letting you know, Teresa, I've never had any reason to let anybody know this before. I went through this in my 20s. Again, I've never been married and I've never been pregnant, but I, I know what this is. And I once went down on the ground in a... Um, a six lane huge intersection in New York City, right in the middle of it, I went right down because I couldn't walk another step. The pain is debilitating. So I know what you're saying. Uh, <clears throat> she said, I had to ask my children to help me. I sought doctor care and they told me to have my uterus lasered to stop my periods, which would end my pain. The doctor then told me that she would have to cut my tubes after that because if I get pregnant after lasering and they don't do that, I could die from bleeding out. She's right. I went and talked to my priest and told him everything and consulted with him on what to do as I did not want to want an unholy marriage. The priest told me that I needed to be the best mom I could be to my kids and to allow the doctor to help me. Before my surgery, I went and he gave me the anointing of the sick I felt at peace. The day of my surgery, the nurse was preparing me and I just started to cry and cry. They were going to take away my ability to ever have children again. I felt like I was losing a part of myself that day. A part of me broke that day that I never got back. My husband agreed that I need to be healthy enough to care for our children, but removing my fertility forever changed the marriage act for me. And every time we are together, I feel as though I am in utter sin. Um, I, I'm just going to stop. You have a long email, Teresa, and I want to stop and comment along the way. You were not wrong to have that surgery. I've even checked with a doctor on this, a good Catholic solid doctor. You were not wrong to have that surgery. And, and the, the doctor was right. If you did not 
um, either have your tooth tied after that surgery or there's another, I think it's ablation, another uh, term, uh, you would die. If you got pregnant again, you would die because nothing could stop the bleeding. You would die. You were right to have that surgery, dear one. And you're not in sin to have relations with your husband um, at all. Um, she, she continues, I told one priest during confession, and he told me that I am not in sin because of conjugal love. He's correct. I went to another parish and went to confession and told the other priest that I spoke with how I feel, and he told me, and I started to cry, that the doctors did take a part of me that day, a special part of me that I will never get back. He said that I am in mourning that day. I am mourning that day like a death, and that being with my husband is not a sin as long as I am open to life in my heart, which I truly am. Dear one, that both priests are correct. You feel that a part of you was taken from you that will no longer allow you to have children. That was the reality of that surgery. And and that was taken from you. Uh, you're not wrong to think that. You are also not wrong to have that surgery in your condition. And the doctor is right, sweetheart. You're mourning that day like a death. I understand that as much as I can. Um, but being with your husband is not a sin. Even though you've had that surgery, you still remain open to life, uh, certainly in your heart, and God could perform miracles. I'm not saying he will, but um, uh, I know you're open to life. You're not in sin to have conjugal relations with your husband. Um, crying, she says, as I write this, so hard. I was in my daughter's first Holy Communion group, and we were talking about being a holy wife, and we came across this topic. I told them my story, and the leader of the group shook her head at me and told me I should have never done that to my body. Shame on her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. It's not her body. Shame on her. You did what was right. You have four other children to raise. She continues, I found a doctor here in Texas, moved here four years ago from California to keep those disgusting vaccines out of my baby's bodies. And the doctor told me that I should have never had that surgery. And that surgery was not what my problem was. Oh, my goodness. I have no idea. Um, I have no idea that why that doctor concluded that, that it's not what your problem was. Um, you know if whether or not you have... Um, uh, not continued that uh, agonizing uh, situation since that surgery. What do you mean it wasn't what your problem was? My goodness, what a journey, huh? I can't go back now. No, you can't. Um, I don't know what the doctor said your problem was. I know people that have had surgery from very severe endometriosis and tumors, and uh, there's nothing else you can do. The only other thing you can do which one doctor did, was put you on birth control pills. But you must not have birth control pills as long as you uh, are fertile and will have conjugal relations because they act as abortifacients, so you may not have them. I don't know what that doctor was talking about. So she says, so here I am, and I still feel like I'm sinning every time I'm intimate with my husband. 
I know what you feel like it. Uh, I'm not saying I know the feeling, but I know that you feel like it, sweetheart. But you're not in sin. She said, it's a terrible feeling, and I stay away from the Eucharist because I feel like I have offended our Lord, and I avoid my husband so that act doesn't happen because I'm scared. But then I see how much my withdrawal affects not only him but my family. I'm not sure what to do. Teresa, there's the music for the end of our program. You, you are not sinning. You did what was reasonable and right. And uh, you love your husband. You are not sinning. Do not withhold from him whatsoever. Um, and she says, what do you think I can do to help through this? Am I sinning against God? You are not. Um, uh, Teresa, uh, accept the uh, loss that you have through that surgery and give your life fully, fully to your husband and your children. We'll speak with you tomorrow, everyone.